0: Raw Ag is your link to the food chain and every episode will take you somewhere along that chain. From conception to consumption, you'll
1: hear from the pioneers and innovators in Australian agriculture with industry news, unique
0: views and presentations. We can all be better farmers, regenerative, profitable and innovative. And we can all be more informed and aware consumers. And Raw Ag brought to you by Tamania Angus and Ace Radio is your next big step in that direction. On this episode of the Rag Podcast, I'm talking to Charlie Perry from Trentbridge Waugus. Charlie is also the 2022 winner of the Xander McDonald Award. Welcome to the Rawrag Podcast, Charlie.
1: Oh, good afternoon, Tom. Thanks for having me on. It's a, a pleasure to be chatting to you,
0: Charlie. We're about to you at the moment.
1: I'm um, at. at um our farm, Trent Bridge, is um, in Gyra in northern New South Wales, which is just a, a place we should see a lot more tourists in the first of August, to be honest. It's a, a beautiful, what is it? What's our warmest day ever? It's about six degrees now. We've had about 40 frosts in a row, and it's just, it's just balmy, <laughs> I can assure you.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> it's quite a high, isn't it? What altitude are you at?
1: The- yeah, we're twelve hundred meters here and we also run some country over towards Ebor, which gets up to about fifteen hundred metres mm. which is um um yeah, which is, is certainly quite a bit of elevation and um, makes for some some cool some cool winters. But um no no no, it's um it's um it's been in the family for a while now, so we're very lucky to be here.
0: So what do you do on the farm? Trent Bridge Waggis. you're a wagyu breeder? Yeah, that's right.
1: So family business. Sort of, um,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. It's a, it's a um, my parents started the the Wagyu start about oh, twenty years ago, and I've sort of taken on management over the last six or seven years, but still work with them very closely. It's sort of. Um, part seed stock, part commercial. So we've got about 600 full blood um, sort of stud animals where we produce or sort of 180 bulls and then some full blood um, feeder animals in, in the seed stock kind of component of the business. And then we run uh, sort of, you know, six or 700 commercial Angus cows and some F1 cows where we use our own, um, our own genetics and go into um, um, sort of long fed F1 or F2 programs.
0: So, Charlie, um, prior to that, what were you doing? You you haven't been on the family farm um, ever since you left school. You've been doing other things. Tell us a little bit about the journey to this point, perhaps. Oh,
1: thanks, Tom. Well, um, sort of a, a long-winded way of answering that was um, as I was sort of going through high school, we were in that sort of rough 90s commodity cycle, and I think, um, you know, my parents were putting a couple of kids through private school and thought it was um, – Probably a little bit tighter than they wanted to be. So we sort of, you know, as we were leaving school, there was a sort of conversation around, you know, home's always here if you want to re- rejoin the family business, but you've got to go and earn your stripes somewhere else or just demonstrate, you know, you can earn a, an off farm income. So, um, I studied at um, Sydney Uni and ended up doing um, about seven years in sort of corporate consulting, um, mainly well, with Ernst and Young actually, um, and worked on a whole range of sort of um, large-scale transactions, um, which was which was a lot of fun. But um, I think. I always knew um, what I wanted to do, and it's sort of just when the opportunity arose to rejoin the farm in late 2015, I I joined it. Uh, well, I jumped at the opportunity, and it's been um, it's been a period of extreme since then. That we seem to go from very wet to very dry and very high markets to not so high markets. It's just um, I don't think we're being close to an average year in any sense of the world, but it's um, with that yeah. volatility, I think there's a lot of opportunities.
0: I think that's a great thing to do because, you know, um, once you start becoming a farmer, it's very hard to go and start another career and then come back to it, you know, um, in that phase out of school, if you go away and find something. And the other thing is, I, I you know, I did something similar. Um, so I suppose you don't, look back over time and say, oh, what if? You know, it's um, it's a good thing to have done.
1: Oh, no, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, you know, I think if I'd come straight back to the farm, I would have always, especially when things are a little bit tougher, as it can sometimes be in agriculture, I would have always sort of wondered what it would have been like if I'd gone down a different path. But... Having looked over the other side of the fence and knowing what sort of a corporate style job was like, and you could see what it might be like if you are, you know, you're a partner at a firm, or you know, set up your own business, or something like that, then you, you just have this incredible. Well, for me, I don't know how you feel, but incredible level of comfort in that. In the decision you've made to be a farmer, because you kind of know what the parallel universe yeah, looks that's
0: like, right. yeah. Whereas you may not have known, and you probably scribbled some numbers down too before you make a decision. Do you? No? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. Yes,
0: <laughs> I um, I did do um, not a lot of farmers do, do. I shouldn't be <laughs> critical, but often as as that sort of discipline that you learn from a job or a position like that um, does give you. It means that you sort of throw yourself back into that zone a bit while you're making decisions
1: yeah absolutely i think you know like a a large-scale financial analysis and like big sort of quant analysis was was quite a big part of my um my my previous role so I, um, I still um, tend to gravitate to quite a bit of time in Excel, whether it be like, you know, financial analysis or sort of for the farm or modeling or, or even genetic analysis when we're looking at our breeding programs. I I do I do enjoy that. But, you know, yeah. for those um, things that I'm probably stronger at in the business side, there's um, plenty of things that I'm hopeless at, sure. So we're lucky that we've got some some good people around us on the farm to, to, to make up for my shortcomings. <laughs> I think I would um, consider myself a my father to be at the very bottom end of the bell curve when it comes to mechanics and if you looked at the grease on my hand at the moment you would you would um, understand how bloody hopeless we are
0: (laughs) yeah well and you came home um you came home and then did you come home into drought two
1: thousand and sixteen? No, 15, 15, sixteen was was pretty good. Like yeah. it wasn't too bad. The the F one Wagyu market and selling Wagyu bulls was going through a real a real boom, and I'm sure you've kind of had half an eye um, um as a as an Angus producer on sort of that ebb and flow of the the Wagyu market. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we went from. We went from, you know, the the history of it really, um, you, you know, could almost be summarised in just sort of waves of of up and down, boom and bust type things. So 16 and 17 was was very very strong, and then as happens with trends, people try and catch it, um, and um, you know, 18 was not too bad, and then 19 we just had a a, um, a period of like large oversupply. Um, crippling droughts, so the price of wheat went, um, or, you know, of, of fodder was, was very high. Um, and we probably, like, as, a, as an industry, hadn't necessarily been joining the right style of F1. We have got pretty loose with trying to build up numbers and there was, you know, um, a lot of females with not the right carcass characteristics were being joined to wagyu to bulls. They were then going on feed for 400 days with pretty poor outcomes. But, you know, I think with every you know boom and bust we've had from you know um the global financial crisis into sort of oversupply and drought 19 like every time the market comes back it it comes back stronger and with much more robust supply chains um and and the brands just uh, are much stronger so you know i'm sure well i certainly hope that the that we reach a point where it's a it's, uh, you know kind of like a you know high-end Angussty job where it it reaches a point in the market and it goes up and down with the ebbs and flows of you know supply and demand and grass but it just doesn't have these crazy Corrections
0: yeah no that's right well so and you know um, you mentioned how you're once you um, sort of put yourself out there as breeding um, animals with that have higher eating quality and marbling and um, the buyers of those really Need it, don't they? Because they, the value proposition they set up for those animals that they are holding um, as animals that are going to to comply at a whole high rate. If they actually don't comply because you've stuffed it up or we've stuffed it up, it's actually quite a big responsibility in the value chain, isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely, Tom. Like it's a it's a great way of framing the the continual challenge of of breeding high end product, and you know. I think um that's why it was such a a tough time in that sort of 1920 period for some supply chains is you know killing a 400-day fed animal especially at drought prices and getting a marble score free for um for an f1 is you're you're tearing up a a lot of money i'm not exactly sure of the, the the price point today but the kind of general narrative going around was that for every additional marble score it's like $750 yeah. depending on where the market's at the moment and that's just pure profit
0: yeah. so yeah, you that's know that's right, because that you've be done it, everything break. else everything all the other costs have already been incurred so you know it's just extra it, revenue it, it, Exactly. So at marble
1: score five, you might be breaking even, but at marble score eight and a half or nine, that F1 or Wagyu animal, whatever, or an long fed Angus animal is worth, you know, a couple of grand more. So that then I think is a huge opportunity for, you know, um, a lot of your team Tamania members breeding high carcass traits. Um, females, which often get snapped up by F1 people and us breeding, um, or they get, you know, um, chased by F1 people and us breeding um, the seed stock bulls to so just keep trying to make sure we breed those animals that,
0: that are profitable throughout the supply chain. Yeah, adulterating the wagyu market, are we? No, I <laughs> know. <laughs>
1: Um, I know a lot of people chase. No, <laughs> no, I know that. There's, they, there, yeah. there, you know,
0: there's clear categorization, categorization in the market between Wagyu and Angus, and um, and and not. I know, but um, there is as well. Um, and so then, I don't want to harp on about drought, but after you got home, you actually then things got pretty tough, didn't
1: they? Yeah. No, I think um sort of eighteen and nineteen were easily our driest years on on record i think the way i reflect on 19 was um our previous one in 100 year low rainfall was 22 inches and we had 11 inches i think that year so it was you know i can't i can't remember stats at uni but that's way off the the charts in terms of likelihood and i think a lot of people have shared that experience so it kind of we're in pretty safe historical country
0: so it um that's when it it hurts the most isn't it you know when you you sort of oh this will be over soon this will be over soon this will be over soon yeah it just
1: kept (laughs) defying our expectations but interestingly enough it was um um proved to be a a huge opportunity for us coming out of that and gosh you learn an awful lot um um, you know, in terms of like we decided to maintain obviously all our, our stud cows and quite a few of our commercial cows. So you certainly do a PhD in um, in um, new animal nutrition pretty quickly. But it was, um, it was a, a very interesting experience. And then, you know, going into the last couple of years have probably been the wettest on record, which um, that kind of volatility from one extreme to the other, um, you know, if that continues for a few more years or makes for some very interesting market opportunities for operators, I think.
0: Yes, and and, and being a seed stock operator is completely different in a drought, isn't it, to being um, commercial. I mean, the opportunity, I suppose, you know, if you're really on the front of it commercially, you can offload and, and at the right time and batten down the hatches. You know, stud stock is, you know, you just don't want to give up that, that intangible asset you've built. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I tangible, mean, I can't you know, imagine how many yeah. generations of Tamania cows of breeding, of generation on generation, you've got. But it's just, it, um, you know, you can pare down here and there, but um, but you feel, um, um, yeah, you feel f- feel very strongly about maintaining that asset, which is so difficult to um and slow to rebuild. And it's yep. it's interesting at the moment, you know, in Gaia in the last. Week there's probably been a thousand Angus bulls sold, and a lot of these bulls, I think they're the joinings from the end of the 2019 drought. So, you know, and now they're getting, I think, just about every local stud would have set its record price. So, you know, the 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 discipline for those guys who maintained their herd and kept the program going, like it's a very long payback, but gosh, I'm sure it's it's been worthwhile.
0: Yeah. So I first met you. Um Charlie, I think, at a multi-preed workshop. You were re- representing the Wagyu Society. At the, um, how old were you then? Probably uh, 23, were you? Oh, yeah,
1: um, thank That's you for, 33, for sorry, my 30, 33, <laughs> yeah, 33. Yeah, yeah, I was probably about, uh, yeah, thir- sorry, 33 or 34. I, I yeah, that'd, yeah. Um, no, 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 I, 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 I certainly um, <laughs> wish i <I'd> felt 23. <laughs> so
0: how does someone um, your age get into to uh, become the head of the Wagyu Society? in the most That's- in the most um dangerous I call it um agro politics not agri <laughs> politics because um free societies are pretty tough
1: yes yes and I've um <laughs> I've I've been on the um the tough end of that stick um um
0: how, how does, uh,
1: I got um approached by a few people to join when I was sort of oh, maybe 30 when I'd been home for a little while and I think um they were interested in getting some younger people um in the industry to come through and then i guess i had a skill set of like quite a lot of strategic definition had like an execution um, financial management and then um so i I had the um the great honor of being the company treasurer and if you know agro politics is true so is the great desire of everyone to be a company treasurer in the non-for-profit industry so so um i got sort of lumped in that and then um Yes, we had a bit of um, um, a kerfuffle, I think is a polite way of saying it. And um, and there was some, um, some changes on the board and we had some new pretty serious um, and very, very impressive directors come on. And I sort of took on that role um, a couple of years ago. And I think, um, you know, at the moment, um, you know, I, believe it or not, I actually, I incredibly enjoy, we've got some, unbelievably talented business men and women who've got really different skills and I actually love working with them and we're in a really interesting space and we've got a super talented executive at the at the Wagyu Association so I, I don't I, I, I really enjoy it now, but, um, yes, there were some times there where I'd scratch my head at night and wonder <laughs> if there are other ways that you can get beaten up for free in a non-for-profit <laughs> voluntary role than than that. But, um, no, yeah. it's, it's, it's great fun.
0: No, so it's in very good hands now, I'm sure. I'm, uh, you know, going well. But, you know, I've had my little turn on the Angus... Um federal committee too and it's um it was look i didn't actually have that bad experience but you know you had to hold your truth all the time make sure that you're being you know you weren't being pulled into some group that didn't actually represent what you thought
1: yeah i I think so and i think um you know we're probably fortunate at the at the moment where there's a lot of optimism probably similar to when you're on the angus board but there's a, a lot of opt although angus is so much more mature as a as a breed but you know there's the the growth trajectory is quite fun so like quite quite strong at the moment mm-hmm. in, the, in the wagyu side so there's you know plenty of money coming in through you know genetic testing and membership fees and stuff like that so the r d side the opportunities you've got there is is great i think it'd be more challenging if your breed are stabilized or people were out doing their own, own things um um, but yeah, at the moment there's there's some great people to work with, and I, I enjoy it.
0: So um, obviously, we're in a very difficult uh, time at the moment with dealing with climate change and um, sustainability, and all these things that we need to address in agriculture. We, um, you know, many many by default have been addressing these things um, through increasing productivity. But um, what sort of what sort of things that are you are you doing? Um, or, or feeling that you need to do on your farm. Let's come away from the it is, but It's um, to 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 sort of um, maintain your social license as a farmer.
1: It's a really interesting question. I uh, um, I've been working with. Um, um, a, a group in Armidale, and we haven't commenced the, the, the process yet, but we are looking at a, a carbon soil baselining um, project. Um, Precision Pastures, a, a friend who works there, Hamish Webb, is now the CEO. What they're kind of offering is a as a sort of carbon startup um, project where you can understand your um, your scope to, um, I guess, um, sequester carbon in the soil, which is something I'm interested in but cautious about. I yeah. still don't quite understand it. And I, um, we've got some lighter country that we run and, um, I'm a little sceptical about the, the ability, our ability there. I've also been chatting to, um, it's still early days yet, so I, I won't mention any details, but some friends in the South who um, are looking at um, you know, different frameworks that, that can be developed to help farmers baseline their, um, their projects and um, think about you know, ways in which we can um, um, be proactive in maintaining our, our social life. Which I think is re- re- really interesting, but you know it's really it's it's a complicated. So I think there there will become more pressure on all all farmers to to demonstrate that we are that we are we take it seriously. Um, so yes, I, I think that's um it, it's something we're thinking about, but I don't have a lot of concrete directions at the moment.
0: Yeah, because some people have uh, you know some farmers have been doing it as a measure as a practice bit by default um moving towards more biological farming (laughs) and things which even sort of stems from pre-carbon um the pre-carbon debate um it it, there are um, many things that we can be doing in farming that uh leave leave a better environment (laughs) and legacy behind so um it's pretty exciting times, I must say. I've yeah. uh, got a pretty good spring in my step that you know that we can justify pulling some of the um, highly marketed, I suppose, um, um, chemicals and things that we've been u- been using. We can pull them out of the system and start working out how to manage it and in- maintain and increase productivity without them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a great way of framing it. I mean, for, from our perspective, we've had maybe cell grazing in for um, 15 years and, and we don't do it over all of our property. We find it a bit tricky in some areas. And, you know, we've found that that's given some really um, beneficial results in soil structure change and the way that the, the kind of the grass grows across, especially across some rougher country. Um, and I think with any... Market disruption. We often find opportunities. So I'm not sure how how that will change, but yeah, I, I, I ter- certainly agree that I think there's there's um, uh, certainly a, a lot of a lot of opportunities in front
0: of us. So on the methane debate, you know, um, uh, I know that there's um, currently a net a zero emission agricultural CRC being. Developed, and um, you know, we often this this. I don't think the science is quite settled yet. What are your thoughts on your contribution to climate change? Do you think it is what it what what it's claimed to be, or do you feel that um, perhaps there's some things we don't completely know about yet? Or would you? Rather? The methane one is is confusing for me
1: um, because, and I'm going to speak about this as a um, a fairly simple um layman around this but from my understanding like our cattle numbers haven't changed over what uh, 50 years or 100 years or something like we're we're quite static at that point and the 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 breakdown of methane is um is 12 years um yeah. so, so the the, half-life the, the net methane, the half life yeah. so the net contribution um is 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 not increasing at all, which I think um, opens up a, a broader conversation. That I think, like, don't get me wrong, I think there's better practices that we can adopt. Oh, of course, yeah, and we need and to do
0: what we need to do, but we also need to know what we need to do. You know like,
1: exactly, and also I think
0: we need to be better at explaining
1: when we're doing things well, and and I, I think that is true. Um, with a number of things around agriculture is that um, we we're often very good at having a narrative dictated to us. Um, you know, one of the things I always find most astounding is, you know, you might see a sort of narrative in the media media, media that um, that farmers don't care about their animals or the environment, which is just absurd. Like no one cares more about <laughs>
0: That's their livestock. To do
1: <laughs> Than the farmers and no one and and they know their 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 soil and land so intimately. It's just absurd to think that they're vigorously trying to degrade it. Yeah. Um, and and I think. But but equally, I think there's there's things that we're doing well, and you know need to, to explain that better. But also, I think there's some some serious opportunity. But Tom, to, to you, like you, I know this is something you're interested in. Were you talking about some net feed intake? Yes, components yeah. on yeah. your file. Like is is that progressing for you there? Because I think that's that's some serious forward thinking if we can do like generate a breeding value around something like that i think the market will reward that
0: handsomely. well quite embarrassingly we've actually got the machines but they're not in yet because (laughs) because it's just so hard to find people but they they look they'll it wouldn't have been practical really to put them in during the winter so they're going in um during the spring and but be functioning by next january um, and so that that's not, I mean, that will give us uh, environmental information, but it'll also increase productivity again. You know, we're trying to do that. Um, and, but, but they're it, one and the same thing, aren't they? I they think, are, you know, fine. Well, well, yeah, there's methane um, um, yield and um, intensity. And so to measure, to reduce methane intensity, we need to actually measure individual animals. Um, methane output, so that we can start to change the amount of methane that comes out of individual animals, um, as well as cr- in improving the methane yield by increase, increasing their productivity. So, um, the question will be: at um, I think the evolution
1: will be around making it at a, a a market.
0: Acceptable yeah. point. Next so you know, I, I would. So that ch- brings me to the next, ch- yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. No, no. Well, no, that's it. That, that sort of opens a can of worms because you know, in the transport industry, we can um, test a a car model and work out what its emissions are. And cars vary a lot in their emissions, and we can steer away from the ones that, you know, are a bit a bit uh, have too much emissions, and go to electric cars and change that. In livestock. We can we can also know that different cattle have different emissions, but at the moment all cattle are treated as equal, and um, and so we need to, for for um, the commercialisation of redu- reducing um, livestock methane. We really need to set up a, a completely different way that we approach this.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that's a that's a great point, and you know there's I guess e- elements I think. Um, Sam Clark at the, at the yep. University of New mm-hmm. England's doing some interesting work around that. Uh, uh, um, he just lives down the road. We were at primary school together, so I've been very interested watching his He's work. But but also <laughs> there's the, is it an intermediary solution, you know, the kind of asparagopsis um, yep. um, 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 substitute. But uh, uh, the thing that I've been reflecting on that is... You know, how much is there, you know, a a social movement for more sustainable animals, but also there's going to be a price implication. You know, one feedlot said to me that if they were to fully supplement with asparagropsis to get to carbon zero, it would add 800 bucks a head to their cost of production. Mm. And they were just making the point, I'm not sure if there is, you know, if someone's quite ready to pay, I don't know, 50% more for their steak or something it is because it's still got to, you know... It it all has to be economically sustainable, otherwise the people trying to do the right thing won't stay in business. So, um, you know, but going back and reflecting on the earlier comment, I think, um, you know, when you said you got to spring in your step, I think think there is a lot of of things happening in this space and um, some exciting opportunities.
0: Yes. And the, the, the other thing about, you know, this, the, the, you're going back to your example of the feedlot, spending $800, you, you survey the public and say, would you like um, you know, net zero emission beef? And they all say, everyone says yes, when they're being asked by a surveyor or filling out a form. But when they're actually counting their pennies in the supermarket, and the monthly budget isn't quite on track, they don't, you know, they don't tend to buy it. And and um, you know we've seen we, you see that in imported products like imported jams and things like that buy Australia campaigns and things and people say they'll buy it but they actually don't. It's
1: it's spot on. Like I always remember reading this um this sort of article written after the GFC and um, when Kevin Rudd was elected in 07, the number two priority for the australian voter the number two concern was climate change you know the gfc rolled in and it moved to like number nine um you know it, it's amazing how and i i understand people had mortgages to pay and things like that but it's you know if you think back to that kind of maslow hierarchy of needs honestly like it, it seems like as soon as um your p- pennies are being pinched, or you know, or like things are a little bit tight with, you know, roofs over your head or servicing debt or whatever it is. That sustainability obligation that the consumer feels it seems to drop down a rung or two, which I think is just interesting. Like I'm, I'm not criticizing anyone who does that. I'm just, just observing that that we still don't seem to be at that point where people are always voting with their dollar.
0: Yeah, it's hard to be, it's hard to be green when you're in the red. Yeah. <laughs> well said. So, now you're also, you're also the um, 2022 winner of the Xander McDonald Award. Congratulations! That's uh, thank you very much. It's quite an achievement. And um, so, um, tell us a little bit about the experience so far. I know I don't think you've been on a trip yet, have you?
1: No, no. Well, you'd know because I was um, hoping to come and visit you. Um, <laughs> If you're going to say, no, please don't do it so publicly, maybe text me afterwards. No, no, Um, you're very welcome, (laughs) Charlie, that'll be fine. Um, Um, Yeah, so, um, and it's it's interesting, um, we're chatting now because um, uh, on the 1st of August, um, uh, the applications for the 2023 um, program, or award open so for any of your listeners who are um in that age bracket and thinking about it i couldn't more strongly um endorse the experience i haven't even um um, I guess got to um, enjoy the 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 culmination of the award, which is the the trip where you um, you get to go around and visit some some of the sort of um, top producers in Australia and look at and understand what they're doing and what makes them different. But you know, just the the experience itself through the, the judging was in and of itself just a, a great a great experience. Um, the the final four. The four four finalists all went down to Orange for... A couple of days, and um, and there was some you know different skills training, and we had a look at around a few different facilities, but also a lot of the sponsors, including you know Tamania Angus and you know AA Co, and you know um, a, a lot of others were, were all there, and we had a fantastic dinner at a winery, and and then the the award happened, but it was just it was just a wonderful experience, rubbing shoulders with some pretty impressive people in the industry. So um, yes, to those people who were considering it, I couldn't more highly recommend. And,
0: and and you know, as because I've, I've had a bit of experience with it, I've been a judge in the past and um, now a sponsor. But the winners keep popping up too. We keep hearing from them, and not just just the winners. Funnily enough, the the place getters you know get introduced to to the mentoring group a, a little bit more gradually, but not di- not as directly. But um, we have had you know. Um, um uh, introductions to some of the place getters as well so it's not it it's not just the winner look if anyone's interested in um, applying for the Xander McDonald award applications actually close on the 31st of August 2022
1: and if anyone would like to um reach out and have a yarn about the process to myself um, then then please do um, um and the other thing just reflecting on your comment Tom of um even past people who have been involved in um, you know now, um, signed up to Blackbox. You know the the mm-hmm. the sort of um, animal data management program, and you know we've spoken to a lot of them. So it's just a a, a great way of um, connecting with um, some really interesting people in in the ag space.
0: Charlie, um, you're back home, and I just would like to ask you about succession because um, succession is such a difficult issue in agriculture in Australia. And I know that you have a very successful brother as well. If you want to mention that, um, that and so you'd have to get all those sorts of things right and think about it. And I'm sure you're the sort of person that does. So could you have a little, tell us a little bit about the succession that you're doing in the family business?
1: Yeah, yeah, th- thanks. Tom no I am um, my um older brother co-founded a a business called Bailey Nelson so they um sell they're a um, sort of global prescription eyewear company now, so so he's done, he's done pretty well for himself. Um, so I always used to chip him and say, you know, for succession, I'll keep the farm and you can buy mum and dad a couple of houses and we'll be square, um, which... Um... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a plan that's destined to fail, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, he didn't do so well by being silly. Um, listen, um, where we're um we're very lucky um um i guess our family where where um i uh, Touchwood wood we, we we get along in, incredibly incredibly well i um i still work with my parents and we've got a, a very cohesive relationship and my brother um Still enjoys really visiting the 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 farm. He's just moved his family back to Armadale, which is our our local town, and still enjoys the the touch point of being on the farm. Absolutely no bloody use though. Never catch him in the yards, but that's another issue. Um, but but to the more um, serious issue of succession, um, w- w- ours is ours is not complete, but we've had a probably. Decade-long conversation around framing um, expectations, um, and I think the one thing which we're good at as a family is um, having honest and clear conversations, so that no one is too caught out by surprise. Um, and I think that's 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 quite a useful thing um, where both. Married, and I think we've always kept our our respective partners very much involved in those conversations, um, and I think that's also been useful. So that I mean, I'm not saying I, I'm in no way um, advocating that that's right for all families, um, but um, in our in our situation, making sure that um, clarity and expectations um were well communicated has um meant that the sort of path and the trajectory that we're we're on is 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 pretty is pretty clear. You know, there's um different ways of thinking about it. You know, one thing, you know, dad often says is um what is it? Fair isn't equal and equal isn't fair. Mm-hmm. So yep. but equally but equally but also you know the um I've been lucky enough by by rejoining the farm to you know help use a balance sheet to help grow a business and um and and, and create a, a bigger business and and um and Nick didn't get that opportunity but he, he will certainly um, um um there's there's ways in which we're we're managing um to make sure that um the way in which he you know the, the the generational six because it's not just my parents it was their parents as well um that, that 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 also flows to him and his family I think the one benefit that I have in in working with my brother Nick is that because um he's, financially successful he doesn't need a lot of money now and that is um something that some of my friends who have gone through succession Mm. i'm empathetic of them is that you know if he said i need five million bucks tomorrow because that's my share or whatever it was just pick a number you know that that would make it very very tricky i mean you know i not to sound too much like an accountant but you know I think when you're trying to grow any business just cash flow is king like it's just so it's so tricky when you're trying to grow and expand because every time you take another leap then cash flow is difficult while you you yep. you, you, you 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 grow when you go through your growing pains so um, you know um, I guess you know we're best mates and he understands what we're trying to do as a family and he'll probably benefit more in, in the long run but um, yeah there's there's some some initial thoughts and principles that that we've we've gone through, but God, it's um, I mean, everyone can tell the story, but it's there's nothing sad, or I think when a cause rifts in families, I just um, and I yeah. think that's my parents' primary motivation is that you know to them nothing nothing's more important than a cohesive family unit or the fact that we can all enjoy Sunday dinner together. So if that requires some quite honest conversations early, that was something that they. They pursued.
0: So do you um, have these meetings around a barbecue or do you sort of formalise them or the chats?
1: Yeah, a bit of both, to be honest. Yeah, like um, um, I'd say because it's kind of a live, ongoing project, isn't it? You know, we just... Well, I um, think it always um, is. Yeah, we just purchased next door... um, uh, we settled that on the first of July, so that changed our structure quite a lot. If you, you know, um, as you know, recent purchases do, so you know that kind of revamps di- different things. But I think if you if you understand and agree on the principles, then you know you can you can adjust. So, for example, if we were committed to pulling out X number of dollars in cash every year and parking it elsewhere you know that that's the commitment but if you reach a you know a 2019 drought again then i think that's where you have honest conversations and go we're in a cash flow challenging period we're going to leave some more in you know but then Mm. you know it'll swing swing around again but i think if you've you've got your goalposts then everyone then it's, it's a little clearer for everyone
0: and so do you ever get help
1: that yes, yeah, we've we've got a, a, a good um a good accountant yep, and yep. um and in his firm there was there was someone who, who helped with that as well. But I don't know, like I've heard You may not I think it. Yeah, no, I think at the, the that that was more formalizing things, but it was more just um I think, again, going back to we're fortunate that there's no animosity and we're quite good communicators and everyone very much cares about the mutual success. So at, at that point, it just hasn't been um, necessary. And also, like, we're quite, like, we're there's only my brother and I. I think if you had a few different kids and, uh, like, if you had a larger family or, you know, um, or other you know, if my, say my father had his brother in the business and multi-generational um, succession planning going on, then it gets super complicated. So, we had quite a, a simple, you know, conceptual, you know, com- compared to a, a lot of other um, people who find themselves in pretty tricky, tricky situations. And, gee, Tom, it's hard. Like, with I'm sure you're the same, but like our land prices have probably doubled in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there's – and I know everyone's making a lot of money but because there's some big numbers being thrown around to, to to manage so I'm empathetic of all people going through it if it's a complicated situation.
0: Yeah, yeah it, it would have been – it would be being made very complicated for those sorts of contracts that families do amongst themselves. I mean, you know, the worst case scenario is that, you know, there's two brothers and one goes home and manages the farm and lives on drawings – with his wife for thirty years, yep. and then 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 mum and dad die, and they divide it in half.
1: Yeah, and I think um, you know, you know obviously, just, you know, not, those not things to happen. Yeah, not to be too particular about um about um sort of our our situation, but I think um you know I probably would have would earn more sometimes being a um a um a, a flipping burgers as a fifteen year old, um, which yeah. is you know just sometimes the way. But but, but mum and dad have it a smells better, though, aren't they, Charlie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but a very good understanding is that like sort of you know I had an opportunity cost stepping out of the corporate career, so you know any – you know, your, your labor and energy has. You know, our business has probably quadrupled in the last five years, and you know, like I think my parents know I've been a part of that. So yeah. I think the the idea of just splitting that in half is is something they're very they really understand is, is not fair. Going back to that, fair's not equal, and equal's not fair. Kind of yeah. concept. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thanks for that, Charlie. Because it's a funny topic, you know, because people won't don't want to talk about it, and, and it and it needs to be talked about. But I think I think probably you know, and you've obviously. <laughs> Um, articulate, you just got to put it on the table, you've got to put it on the desk it's got to be, you know, I'm going to carve my cows, I'm going to go and visit the accountant, I'm going to do all the things that I need to do in my business and succession's one of them you know and Absolutely. Pe- people just and don't, I think- don't pick up the folder and and start to look forward into the future about what could happen and try and um, make plans about how to m- make make it right
1: and I think also Tom is like, um, you know, um, from my parents' perspective, or anyone's, but like even my, you know, you never know what's going to happen. I think the the great tragedy is, is if the you know the father or someone has an accident or you know dies quite suddenly and things aren't sorted out, yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden you're to be dealing with the. Um, the awful emotion of a loss in your family but then massive ambiguity um around you know people's financial allocation and i think that's just a a recipe for for disaster and people's perception
0: of the fairness of what's been done that just Mm. makes uh you know a hotbed of emotion anyway yeah it's a good thing to get sorted out All the time. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think one of the reasons we probably um, have found it easier in the sense is like, you know, we're we're quite a well-structured business. Maybe this comes back to my sort of um, corporate background around like we've got very clear – you know, annual strategy, quarterly strategy like what are we trying to get done for the month and sort of the week type thing so if you're pretty structured around those sort of things it makes and everyone's pretty close the financials and what you're trying to do with the business it's it's not a
0: big step to look into that future stuff Perhaps you need to come down and help me <laughs> I, don't <think> so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so So Charlie, we're, we're getting to the end of the podcast so what mistakes have you made? There's this
1: book I'm reading or, or, or read recently um, by a girl, I think her name's Annie, Lady Annie Duke, called Thinking in Bets, and it's about um, the kind of central premise of the, um, of the book is that human um, nature is that when something goes right for us, we massively over-index um, our own ability and discount luck and when things go badly, we generally attribute it to bad luck. <laughs> and um, and <laughs> listening to that, I was like, yeah, right. That's, <laughs> that, that sounds <laughs> about right. So I probably actually listened to it a couple of years ago. And it's just this concept that's really stuck with me. So, like, we make plenty of mistakes, but I think one thing we're good at is sitting down and going, how did we stuff that up? Why did it happen? And how are we going to make sure that doesn't um, doesn't happen next time? So um, that's a very long winded way of saying plenty of mistakes, but I think we always try and learn from them.
0: Sit down and try and control your bad luck a bit. You reckon?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's the point. There is a lot less bad luck than you think. We always overindex that. Sometimes you <laughs> just stuff up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and 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 some masterpieces, plenty of them. Um. oh there was there was no luck
1: involved i'm just a genius no i think um i think the the one thing i'm you know most proud of is like coming out of the 19 drought i was um really struggling you know to sell a wagyu bull it was a it was a very tough time but then speaking to the different supply chains in the industry like they still were selling a lot of wagyu meat overseas so i kind of sort of um, just really believe that we were going to see a, a massive correction in the market, and that we would, um, we would, 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 you know, the, the market had really kicked. So I think you know, very early in, like, late nineteen, early twenty, as the drought broke. We tried to get as much exposure to sort of waggy content cattle as we could, and feed a few. And I think you know that did, um, yeah, it did help us recover from the drought quite, quite significantly, which was, um, which was, which was lucky
0: yeah it's a very challenging time mentors Charlie mentors um,
1: in your life yeah that's that's a good question I think like my parents are very the constant source of sort of consultation and um from a cattle perspective we've got a wonderful friend down the road old old lock rogers who I've mm-hmm. learnt an awful lot about cattle from over the years so um yeah they'd be the people I speak to
0: most well Charlie thank you very much for coming on the podcast and um as the listeners will know you know you're going to make a well um, a wonderful contribution i'm sure to australian egg and you already are and obviously those people out there who are considering the Xander mcdonald award charlie's an example of the sort of people that win it so if you want to be found apply for the Xander mcdonald award thank you very much charlie Great to have a chat. Oh, thanks, Tom.
1: It's It's been a pleasure chatting to you. I appreciate your time. And a belated thanks for your support of the Zander Award. You know, as a beneficiary of, of your generous contribution, I, I can't thank you enough, enough and all the other sponsors.
0: Thanks, Charlie. The Roarag Podcast is a collaboration between Tamani Angus and the Ace Radio Network. If you're enjoying the RORAG podcast, make sure you leave a review or rate us on your favourite podcast app.